do 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 da 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 do 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 Happy Saturday! Welcome to a very special episode of The Art of Performers, where you get to meet an incredible group of people, the triumvirate of artistic directors who make up contemporary classics, Charlie Thomas, Susanna Wilson, and Michael Beiselberg. We are learning about this fledgling theater company, their dreams and goals, and how they're changing classic theater in Atlanta to represent everyone. You'll also hear about their production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, which I have the pleasure of participating in as I portray Titania, the fairy queen. It truly has been a dream working along this wonderful crew of patches, and I'm excited to introduce you. So here we go. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next Saturday. Ticket details are listed in our bios. How long have you been involved in performing arts? And when did you get to know each other? And how did you know that you wanted to do it professionally? So can, um, can, I, can I have this be age before beauty? <laughs> so that would be, that would be me, me speaking first. <laughs> uh, so, um, and the only reason why I say that is because I think, I think it is quite possible that I have been involved in performing arts longer than probably either, you know, any yeah. of us that are on the call. Um, just simply because I, I actually started taking drama classes from this amazing woman um, named Kajana Wiseman when I was seven years old in Africa because my father was a missionary and um, so we were there to, you know, spread the good word, all that kind of good stuff. Wow. Um, and this woman was amazing and when I came back to the States, I found that it was very different here, first of all, and performing arts were not as like an essential part of the curriculum. So I had to seek out opportunities, mm -hmm. which meant that I ended up, of course, you know, doing things like joining show choirs and singing for the first time in public and not only doing theater, but uh, doing dance and, you know, all kinds of things. And I ended up going to school originally for vocal jazz when wow. I first started college. And like I normally did, I just, I gravitated towards the theater kids and um, started getting cast in shows. My first show was A Midsummer Night's Dream in college, my first Shakespeare show. Um, and this was done at the professional theater right there at the Kansas City Rep, which is on campus at, at the University of Missouri in Kansas City. And so I was cast as Cobweb in my very first Shakespeare play. Uh, and then, and it was an 80s musical version of it as well, <laughs> which is really weird. Um, and then um, when I went on to uh, study in Seattle, Washington at the University of Washington, and I transferred there, I picked right back up and I became a theater major, graduated with a theater degree. And then after college started working in nonprofit theaters, including page to stage companies, Shakespeare companies, um, other kinds of uh, regional theater type of companies. And I've been doing that since 1993 professionally. And 
then got my equity card like seven years later um, and really have been doing it ever since, at least on and off. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been a long, long haul journey for me. I became my, I became the artistic director of a theater company in 2007, um, and then moved to the area that I'm in now in Lawrenceville in 2019, after graduating from the university of Exeter in England with a degree in theater practice, my master's degree. So I went back to school in my old age. In so your old that's age. my long journey. My long, long journey. <laughs> wow. I mean, you've literally been all over the world through your whole life just doing theater. That's amazing. Uh, Charlie, why don't you go ahead? Sure. Um, I, um, oh, wow. I've basically been doing um, acting since 2001. Uh, like many Southern church kids, a lot of my start in performing arts started in church. Mm-hmm. Um, I would write all the church plays for special events um, and help start a puppet ministry in our church and then went to college as a pre-law student uh, and Whoa. did a play in order to just um, make friends because that was more important to me at the time. Uh <laughs> And after, like, a particular performance, I was like, no, I kind of want to do this for the rest of my life, though. Uh, Which my parents were definitely not cool with. (laughs) Definitely did not talk for a while after that decision. Um, However, uh, basically, it led into, like, uh, a decade of doing community theater. um, Because I was just like, you know, I just, I think I'm good enough to do this thing. Um, And then one day, I remember specifically thinking, you know, how do I measure up with people who get paid for this? And so I walked into work that day. This was like uh, November of 2011 um, and told my uh, (laughs) manager that I was going to quit so I can go be a professional actor. (laughs) And he laughed in my face. And I actually ended up not quitting. I ended up working there for like four more years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was insane. But finally, I did finally get the gumption and just said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make the move and move to Atlanta in November. I mean, in July 2015. Uh, and I've been doing that here ever since. So, like, that's pretty, like, yeah, I think that's the journey for me. That's very cool. So I love this off the bat because you two are such a dichotomy of, like, theater has been with me since I can remember and like theater came for me because I really think your passions do come for you in life. They just come after you. Um, And they're either instilled in you and you know it, or they're instilled in you and you find out. (laughs) (laughs) And Michael, what about you? Yeah. So um, I, I first started doing theater uh, when I was in high school. Uh, The first play I was ever in was our town. Um, and I can't remember the role. <laughs> I remember the name of the role. I know I was uh, the paper boy at the beginning <laughs> that they talk about, but I can't remember the character's name now. Um, but since then, um, I had done dozens and dozens of productions at community theaters, uh, at high school, and even some professional shows uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is where I'm from. Uh, there was a theater there uh, called Stage West uh, back in the day in the 90s. Uh, and that's where I had my first professional gigs, um, was doing The Skin of Our Teeth 
uh, and a Christmas Carol. Uh, and then after that, I, uh, did some work at, uh, a theme park. Um, it, it's now a six flags. Um, but back in the nineties, it was privately owned. Uh, and then I went to college, uh, for acting, uh, at Syracuse, uh, and I got my BFA, uh, there in 2001. And then immediately, uh, after school, I went to New York city, uh, where I joined a theater company of my fellow SU grads, uh, called personal space theatrics. And we produced, um, several dozen shows uh, and readings all around uh, New York City uh, in Manhattan. And then my time with uh, Personal Space culminated uh, with a production of a play called Murder, uh, which is by an Israeli playwright, Hanuk Levine. And uh, I had adapted, I had translated and adapted the original Hebrew into an English uh language version that we produced at PS 122 in 2005 um, with the support of the Israeli Consul for Cultural Affairs uh, and a couple of Palestinian rights organizations groups. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was a very, uh, um, it was a very uplifting uh, and, but still challenging production because uh, we had to get all the funding so we did a bunch of readings of it around new york city um for various donors um which got us the money that we needed to mount the production uh off broadway at ps 122 so then after that show uh i was kind of stuck uh in my life and i wasn't quite sure what i wanted to do next um but my wife, uh, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, uh, and I talked about maybe making a transition to TV and film. So we decided to move to Los Angeles uh, with nothing but the clothes on our backs <laughs> and whatever we could fit in the back of um, my wife's Dodge Neon. <laughs> and we, we drove from New York City all the way to Los Angeles uh, I started working uh, almost immediately in the post-production offices for the Style Network. Uh, so I got to work on some pretty cool shows and meet some people like uh, Nisi Nash, uh, who, you know, I, I'm sure you know now is a pretty big star on TV uh, and in movies. Um, I worked Jennifer on... was working with her on that show, Claws. Yes, it's yes. Jennifer Claws. Lyon, yeah. Exactly, yes. Nisi Nash starred in Claws. Um, so I've, it's been kind of weird because I followed her a little, around a little bit, um, going from Style Network to to Turner. Um, so in uh, so I worked in LA um, for the Style Network. Then I got a job working for the domestic television salesman for this company called New Image. And New Image is a film production company that produced movies like The Expendables. Uh, Angel Has Fallen, the new Rambo movies. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked for them for about six years before I got a job working for the Turner Networks. Um, so currently I am the senior director of content acquisitions for Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, my focus is on the uh, Turner Networks. So like TNT, TBS, 
TCM Adult Swim and Cartoon Network. Um, my job is I screen, evaluate, and then negotiate for the television rights for all of the movies and TV shows that you see uh, on the Turner Networks. So it's a pretty cool job. Uh, it took a lot of work to get there, and it is it is not an easy job. Um, but it's kind of cool because we get to see all of the movies and TV shows before they're released. Um, you know, and we get to go to Los Angeles for screening events. And in fact, tomorrow I'm flying out to Los Angeles for a week long event of screenings um, around the city. So I'm going to get to watch all of the new pilots and TV shows that are going to be on the air during the next broadcast season. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, so it's I've had a pretty long career, um, you know, in TV and film, uh, but now I'm sort of getting back into the theater world, uh, which is a world that I've missed, um, you know, for at least, a, you know, a good 10 years or so. Um, so I'm very, you know, very excited to be a part of this company, uh, to be a part of another new company starting up. And hopeful that I can lend my expertise, um, you know, to us uh, to help us succeed and achieve what we want to set out. That's awesome. Okay, so you're coming from these three very different backgrounds. You've all kind of found yourselves here. How did you meet? How did you find your common vision? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I have to give I have to give credit where credit is due here um, to um, Anya Lee, who is our on leave artistic director of community um so she actually introduced me to charlie so that's a big big reason why charlie got on board because um we looked at his proposal for hamlet 2020 and immediately said we need to do that and we need to bring charlie on board um anya was one of my students when I was doing some Shakespeare classes, she already is an equity actor who has done quite a bit of, uh, of Shakespeare and other types of plays actually around the country. She, she came from New York city and moved here, I believe like right before the pandemic hit. So, um, and started working at the Shakespeare Tavern, which is how she got to know, Charlie. Um, but she's amazing. Um, and uh, like I said, she's on medical leave. So a lot of the people that are currently involved with contemporary classics have unfortunately been unable to meet her. Um, so hopefully she'll be around a little bit later so that people can meet her. So that's that's how um, I got involved with uh, with Charlie. Now, Mike is a different story. I'm going to let Mike tell that story. But um, but as far as the the reason why I reached out to Anya specifically uh, in the first place is because contemporary classics grew out of the seed of another company, which was Gwinnett Classic Theater. And Gwinnett Classic Theater was founded by um, Robin Summerauer. Um, and they began it just as a community theater uh, specifically for 
uh, Gwinnett County, like um, artists that living in and around Gwinnett County. Mm-hmm. And it was associated with live arts theater, um, which was operating out of a church basement in Norcross. And that was um, the performance space for GCT, Gwinnett Classic Theater, for that first two years. Then the pandemic struck and everything changed. One of the things that changed was that our casting practices, I was on the board at the time, the casting practices of GCT were called into question because they weren't diverse enough and they were, there wasn't any outreach to diverse populations with this classical theater. And I'm sure you know that classical theater has traditionally um, really not represented the diversity that is truly around us. Right, which definitely. Is, which is unfortunate, but uh, but really is the case. And one of the reasons why I came on board is because I really, really believe that the inclusion of diverse people's ideas and traditions, cultures, it's important, very, very important for us to make sure that our classic Western theater traditions are inclusive because they are our stories and they're our stories as members of the human race and they're our stories that we should present to really strengthen our relationships with each other social justice is very central to to what i want to be doing and i am lucky enough to have like-minded people join me in this triumvirate That's amazing. I applaud all of you, too, for taking action to change the landscape because coming out of the pandemic, we had, you know, a a multitude of things that kind of shed light that needed to be changed. But most of all, I truly believe is the kind of stories that we're telling and the people who are involved in the storytelling um, of theater. But especially I agree with you in classic theater. So I just think that's so wonderful that you're taking a hand in doing that and making a difference, especially here um, in Atlanta, because our theater here is pretty limited and you don't see a lot of diversification within the theaters here. Especially community theater. Mm -hmm. It's actually kind of interesting to me that uh, community theater, which you would think would have a a broader scope of, of ability to be able to pull more people in. It doesn't, it doesn't really do that here in the state. So I first met Susanna in 2019. Amazing. Uh, at so I really want to talk for, about uh, how Gwinnett you Classic your Theaters shows King Lear. And um, what so that allows I you to do. I auditioned for Susanna uh, and she cast me uh, in, in the role of the Duke of Albany. Um, so that was the first production that I had been on stage for since 2001. So it was an 18 year sort of uh, absence from the from the classic stage. Um, but when I when I saw the audition notice, um, a couple other people and I and, and me were were thinking, you know, maybe maybe we want to <laughs> maybe we want to take over this company at some point. And lo and behold. Pretty much what happened. <laughs> um, uh, 
you know, we, I, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge proponent of classic theater. And I think that it, uh, I think that its themes and its stories, uh, are universal, um, across culture, across race, across gender. And I, I really got a good sense that Susanna felt the same way, uh, while we were in the rehearsal and performance process for King Lear. So when the show closed um, and all of the sort of drama with the old leadership of GCT happened, you know, Susanna approached me about joining the board of a new, you know, venture that would kind of get spun off from GCT. And that really just sort of aligned with what I wanted to do from the beginning um, and, you know, be involved with a classic theater company, you know, produce and direct shows and, and really sort of guide the company in a new world post COVID. Because I think that COVID has really changed a lot of society. I think that it's, sh it's shined a, a light on marginalized groups. And I think that we have to, as theater, you know, professionals or semi-professionals, we have to create a new order and a new environment in a post-COVID world. Because I don't really agree with going back to normal and going back to the way things were. And I think that we have to approach theater in new and different ways now because there is a new reality that we have to deal with and you know i'm i'm very i'm very glad and, and happy and and motivated to hear that you know charlie and susanna you know agree that we you know need to take this company in a new direction to reflect the new realities of you know, theater and of entertainment in a post-COVID world. Definitely. Absolutely. And that's a beautiful common vision to make change together. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Do you want to talk about how you're choosing your shows um, and what kind of impact you are feeling like you're making through the choices uh, as you pick your seasons? My title is um, Artistic Director of Programs, and so um, that that falls into my purview um, greatly. But at the same time, this is a triumvirate and non-hierarchical and I, I, will, I would never move forward with anything without the consensus of my partners um, in determining programming. Um, that said, the next show that we're doing after A Midsummer Night's Dream, which is a fundraiser to help actually fund this show, is Hamlet 2020, and that was, as I mentioned before, brought to us by Anya Lee, and it fit the uh, already established vision and mission statement that we had put together. Um, and just just so you know, I mean, our, our mission statement is very, very clear. Our mission is to challenge and transform classic Western theater traditions by creating an inclusive community of diverse people, ideas, and cultures. I love that. That is, I want to get that like tattooed on my body. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. Um, I'm going to let Charlie speak to the, the uh, Hamlet 2020 itself, because you'll understand immediately why 
Yeah. That was our first choice. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's my <laughs> turn. Ah, uh, uh, basically, uh, Hamlet 2020 came out of, like Susanna and Mike have both mentioned, like the norm has not been enough. Um, and around a few years ago, um, as a newbie in Shakespeare and really trying to like find my own footing uh, in the Bard's works that has been so much predominantly white from my purview, um, there was an audition for Hamlet going on. And I went in and I gave it my shot. Um, but, you know, felt a bit of distance between me and this character and was really trying to find ways to um, kind of bridge the gap between my own life experience and this fictional character that seems to be one of the most popular people to ever portray on stage. Um, and then 2020 happened. And then the racial reckoning in 2020 happened. Um, and I remember specifically seeing the news about George Floyd um, and kind of uh, got so overwhelmed and emotional that I had to like try to ground myself. And at the time I was studying Hamlet to audition for a different production and I had to be or not to be in there. And I did that online and I was like, oh, interesting. Um, but what really clicked was the what a piece of work is man speech and Hamlet really trying to articulate to his friends like this idea that like the world um, can visually look the same to everyone around him. Like, and yes, he understands the beauty within it, but for him, there's this slight darkness, this like unexplainable sadness and struggle that he's dealing with that he can't quite put a finger on that's caused him to go into this like really deep um, depression. And like, it's crazy. Like he puts down his antic disposition for a se second to be truly um, transparent. And it's treated with disrespect. Like they just move on. They want to deal with what they want to deal with. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly how I feel when I'm trying to explain my experience to so many of my uh, white friends. When I'm trying to explain, look, I live in the same world as you, but we're not having the same experience in this world. And I was like, oh, well, how can I like branch on that more? And slowly but surely, this concept developed to where you know, seeing the world through the Black experience and still being Hamlet, like, fit perfectly. Because at the end of the day, Hamlet is human. His experience is a human experience. Uh, so any human should be able to step in it, right? And I personally just kind of felt some kind of way the fact that that particular play had been basically gatekept by so many officials of being like, because it is the pinnacle, because it is this, like, huge play, it has to be done a certain way. And personally, that kind of reverence doesn't allow for progression. It doesn't allow for interpretation and it doesn't allow people to actually put themselves in other people's shoes because we treat it as something so like, um, how do I, what's the word that I want to use for this? Reverent. We, yeah. Um, that it can't be moved or shaken or challenged. And like, what's the point of doing work if you can't challenge it? Like, what's the point of art if you can't see yourself in it? So uh, I really, really wanted to, like, make a world that looked like the world we lived in now so that people couldn't distance themselves from the story. But at the same time, I wanted a community that normally doesn't see themselves in classical theater to finally felt seen. Like, I wanted them 
to understand that Hamlet is all of us. It's kind of like my, one of my favorite movies over the past few years has been uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Mm -hmm. um, because the message of everyone has an origin story mm -hmm. and every be anyone at any point in time, they just have to reach for it. It's so impactful, um, especially the marginalized communities. So like, I was just like, well, I'm going to do that in theater because that's where I do all my work. Right. It so, makes me think of everything everywhere all the time. Have you seen that? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Which is just a brilliant, brilliant piece and probably one of my favorite films of all time now. So like, good. Definitely going to have to go back to watch it. Um, but yeah, Hamlet came out of a need, kind of like the mission statement for uh, contemporary classics. You know, I myself was just tired of the status quo and I work in areas where the status quo is accepted and basically like lauded as the end all be all to do theater. And I'm just like, nah, nah, that doesn't sit with my spirit. I'm <laughs> keep going. Uh, so, and they're all white, all male performance traditions that we're talking about. Yeah. Absolutely. Like uh, one of the beautiful things that I, with the uh, revamping Hamlet was discussing what these relationships look like in 2020 and what kind mm. of people I was very adamant about having someone non-binary for Horatio mm -hmm. um, because of just this person who was just very grounded in who they were um, and who was Hamlet's support and somebody Hamlet could feel like he could communicate his frustrations to and would actually hear him. And that obviously comes from being in another marginalized community and not having respect. And then casting some of the characters as white to kind of accent the dissonance in between... Mm -hmm the characters so really creating this very actual real-time world with shakespeare's words not changing anything about how the words are being said but really saying who would say these words now like who would be in positions uh anya was originally cast as gertrude and having a biracial gertrude in that role was so super exciting so there's just so many nuances that we never touched because no one ever bothered to ask why. So that's kind of like, well, Hamlet of 2020 is here, and hopefully it'll make people ask questions and challenge their thoughts, and then we'll move forward. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> we have classic works that are supposed to talk about the human experience, and if you're not talking about all of humans, you're not talking about the human experience. Why um, not, sister? Right? <laughs> so this is a beautiful way. I mean, that is the most inclusive, but also with such intent, like your intention, intentional casting, and you're making decisions on purpose to tell your stories in a way that are not only progressive, but inclusive and realistic and now. Like they're so of the time that that is the most important thing that art ever does. I love that. Yeah, I, I would say, and I'll, I'll pass it on to my partners after this, but I think one of the most frustrating things I've learned in classical theater, because it is such a white male like dominated like area it's just watching so many people capable of telling stories not being able to tell stories definitely like assume like the idea that like whoever did the original cast of something like that's always the way that we have to like initially do it or you know the thought that like this has been a tradition in someone else's community for years and years so like this is like the blueprint but i'm watching my friends who are you know different races or have disabilities or are plus size and don't look like the traditional hero or heroine or love interest 
and watching non-binary uh, artists get erased in roles. And I'm like, but they have such a passion and such a need to actually relate the story mm-hmm. and they're capable of doing it. But we immediately say, no, you don't look like the last one. And I just refuse for that to be like the standard. That's not a good enough excuse anymore. So if that means that I, with my own two hands, have to recreate a space for someone else to step in and feel free to talk about it the way they feel passionate about it, then so be it. And then all of a sudden, contemporary classics came knocking on the door, and I'm like, oh, never mind. Someone else also wants to do this, too. (laughs) I found my people. Oh, my gosh. If I wasn't already so excited about contemporary classics, I am now. Like, it's just the best. That makes me very, very, very pleased. So tell me about Crew of Patches. Yeah. Okay. So... Our tagline is A Crew of Patches. Um, It's a line from A Midsummer Night's Dream that Puck calls the mechanicals, the guys that do the play within a play. In this version, because it's a 1950s version, these uh, are the workers at the school, Athens High School. So they're the janitors, the, you know, HVAC guys, the... You know, and so forth. Um, it's it's that type of person, probably even a retired like you know gym teacher or something is Quince. Um, so the what Puck means by that, of course, is these like rough men of Athens that like work in rough p- kinds of jobs, like you know pipe fitting, you know, and and so forth. Um, But patches in Shakespeare and in old timey speak means a lot more than just that. It also just means like an ill-tempered person, either male or female, also means a fool, um, because of course it's referring to the patchwork uh, costumes that fools would have had, like the king's jesters. It also refers to uh, gossips, um, but it also refers to a just a patch is a common word for fellow and it really means either male or female very 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 common word um and in modern day of course we use that to mean like you know patches of grass or um patches neighborhood patches you know gardens you know that sort of thing and since we are a homeless theater company it gives us an added meaning because we're also in other people's patches whenever we perform Mm -hmm. and we're finding all of those different kinds of patches and one of the things that i found when i was actually looking up all of the meaning of the word patches um and of course we've got quilts we've got a history of quilts and how culturally that that means something in different cultures um, etc. So we are also adding all of that so that each one of us is a patch that is building this quilt of contemporary classics. You can't yeah. see me, but my jaw just kind of dropped because there was so much meaning from that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So that's, that's why we call ourselves the crew of patches that's is because so cool. of all of these various reasons. And we're also trying something new and we're probably going to end up looking foolish a couple of times at least and we're going to run the risk of being wrong and being like you know having to be corrected and um and and that's okay (laughs) we can say hey that was foolish let's uh you know let's take that and let's uh let's figure that out and let's do something a little bit differently um 
But there's this great little old nursery rhyme that nobody even knows where it came from that I also really like that sort of sums that up as far as like storytelling and calling people patches. And cross patch is the name of the nursery rhyme because it starts with cross patch, draw the latch, sit by the fire and spin, take a cup and drink it up, then call your neighbors in. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> it kind of fits right it because really we're does all about, like come in come in neighbors come one come all we're all about calling people in not calling people out calling people in um and uh you know sharing stories do you have Drawing. like a, a dream project like a dream show that you would love to retell like just off the top of your head my all-female measure for measure and my all-female richard the second oh nice yeah, for me, it's uh, waiting for Lefty, uh, updating it for 2023. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think right now, you know, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot going on uh, in the world right now that makes that play relevant. Um, you know, so, I, and I, I think it's a good vehicle for, um, you know, putting marginalized voices you know, at the, at the forefront. Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of my, one of my dream projects. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I have, uh, three technically, <laughs> but, uh, that just kind of live rent free in my head all the time. Uh, but I would have to say one is doing a version of importance of being earnest mm -hmm. with an all POC cast. Nice. Um, because that's just a show that I've rarely seen people of color in, and it's my favorite, like, one of my favorite shows ever written. I just love that show. Uh, number two is doing King Lear, but with Lear as a black woman, do uh, a more uh, grounded approach into patriarchy, hierarchy, and uh, family lineage in the black community. Um, and then my third one, which will this is separate i'm not saying this is contemporary classics but just telling you the kind of art that i think about um my favorite musical is second favorite musical is into the woods and i desperately went through and into the woods with the baker and the baker's wife being a same-sex couple yes um i love that idea cinderella being a trans uh artist oh i really love that idea because and playing with the idea of like every other character is kind of like this like telling it from a perspective of a child in an orphanage trying to find comfort from being alone um and all they have is a children's book and because the people in the orphanage are helping this child kind of grieve properly um anybody can play anything so already setting up the idea that like it's going to be non-traditional because we're using people in the space to tell the story and then allowing that to kind of propel people to actually allow people to tell the story um so yeah i got a lot of like crazy ideas in my head <laughs> i love all well, of and, those and one one more thing just fyi we actually are going to be doing um a colonial Macbeth at <gasps> Autry mill next year so that is gonna that will be one of our um our season our second season shows Okay, so speaking of things coming up, let's talk a little bit about Midsummer because I love being a part of the show. It's so cool, um, and it is a it is a fundraiser. So I want to give you the chance to promote it, talk about it a little bit, and um, tell everybody why they should come. 
Well, for one thing, it is super fun, and you and all the rest of the cast are brilliant, and that's reason enough, honestly, to want to see <laughs> the show. Um, but also, the fact that it is a fundraiser does help us to, um, you know, not only get visibility for the company, but also to raise funds specifically for the next show, for Hamlet 2020. Um, if we can even make a little bit more money, it can help us have seed money for even the following shows mm -hmm. and so forth. So, um, but really the biggest reason to come is like the music, the band is hot. Uh, the singers are amazing. Everybody is doing an amazing job with the text. It is a fun, fun, fun show. It's an easy show to understand, especially in this adaptation. Um, and it's not, um, the challenging parts about it are not so challenging that the whole family couldn't enjoy it. Yes. Um, this is truly, truly a family friendly show as well. Um, and so, yeah, people of all ages would definitely, definitely enjoy. So I invite people come, come as a family. This coming Saturday, we have a special flash sale that you can only get into if you sign up for our mailing list. So you must subscribe and you can do that very easily just by sending your first and last name and your email address to crewofpatches at gmail.com. And I'll put that information in the bio below so people can see it as well as on all of my socials and I'll link you guys to it so people can see where they need to get um move in to get the the sign up done and that's a really really great opportunity especially right now uh to my listeners who are unaware of fundraisers um and how they've kind of worked but they that having a two-for-one option on those tickets is really something huge and it's i cannot encourage you enough to take advantage of that because that is even an, an opportunity the show is amazing um i will say I probably have the hardest time keeping a straight face through all of it because my scene partner is incredible. <laughs> um, all of my scene partners, but especially um, our Nick Bottom is just hilarious. Uh, the whole oh, show is so good. He's Alan's amazing. I seriously, I am having to practice like being very steely resolved um, and <laughs> responding because it's so funny. Um, and I think as probably the most scandalous part of the show, I can say it's definitely very family friendly. So I'm excited for people to come to come see it. <laughs> but it's exciting. And, um, and if you if you get the the exclusive ticket so that you can see the the little private concert that we have beforehand, you'll also see a little sneak peek with Mr. Charles Thomas doing a bit of Hamlet 2020. Oh, so worth it. So worth it. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Everybody listening, I cannot encourage you enough to come out for this event. Also, there's wine, so, like, what more could you want? Like, come on, just come on out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, definitely sign up for our mailing list. You get exclusive access to uh, discounts, announcements, uh, and other sort of fun things that you know, we have, uh, we have for our, for our audiences. Um, you can also stay up to date with, uh, all of the, you know, performances and shows and cast announcements and, and all of that good, fun, insidery kind of stuff that I think people are kind of craving today. 
and follow us on Facebook. Yes, Facebook, Instagram. Um, you know, we we post pretty frequently, uh, and we encourage people to interact with those posts. You know, reach out to us, talk to us, tell us, you know, tell us what you like, tell us what you want to see. Like, we want to engage with our community, and we want to deliver the best product possible. Yes. Oh, thank you so much, Charlie, Susanna, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me on The Art of Performers, for talking about this beautiful and exciting uh, kind of season that's coming up and, and what's to come for contemporary classics. I know I am so excited to see, and I know our listeners are going to be as well once they get to know. Thanks to my listeners for being a part of the Art of Performers family. If you would like to support me and this venture, you can check out my Patreon page listed in the bio or my cute merch. And if you have a topic you're interested in, feel free to reach out in the listener involvement section on my link tree. Thanks for helping me do what I do.